politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, to your sanctuary city from insanity here at Conservative Review. Daniel Horowitz back in the house, Blaze Media on Thursday, the 20th of August, as we power through this summer. The dog days of summer are almost over, but the tyranny is just beginning if we will allow it to happen. A lot of people are messaging me different things they see at this pathetic, quirky Zoom convention of the Democrats. And, you know, I certainly won't watch it, but the more I think about it, I do think there is something important to watching it for some people, maybe even more important than watching the Republican convention. And that is because I want people to see what a political party really looks like. I want them to see what a movement looks like. What's fascinating is when you look at them, you're struck immediately by their confidence, their consistency of message, their relentless focus on policy outcomes, on exactly what they want to achieve, how they're going to achieve it. As demented as it is, you got to give them credit for that. Whereas you look at Republicans and one after another on the issues of our time, the juxtaposition of tyranny against Americans rooted in flat earth fake science and data, overstating the danger of coronavirus, overstating our ability to deal with it, while understating the degree of calamity from the lockdown mentality, from the accompanying fear and panic that it exudes and imbues in society, I'm not going to have time to get into it today because we have a special, really special guest coming up I want you to hear from. But you go to conservativereview.com and we're going to have tons of information there, especially about younger people, how they are dying of so much more likely to die from alcohol and suicide and drugs. And particularly now, because according to a lot of surveys, they are overstating the threat of the virus to their health by a magnitude of 400 Do you understand what that does to society? Yet where are Republicans mentioning anything we talk about? Where do we go? Where do we run away from? Well, well, we need Republicans to win. We need need to win in November. Well, what if I told you Trump is already president and there are states and counties where Republicans control and it is just as bad as the left where they are letting out criminals while criminalizing Americans for not subscribing to the corona panic porn. I want to introduce you to a state called Utah. Once thought of as the most Republican state around, this is from the Salt Lake Tribune. Utah students and staff who don't wear masks in school can be charged with a misdemeanor. Students and staff in Utah who don't wear masks in K-12 schools, in accordance with the governor's mandate, can be charged with a misdemeanor. The potential criminal penalty for violating the order was confirmed by Governor Gary Herbert's office. This guy is allegedly a Republican. Okay? Remember how we talked about yesterday with with Frederick County, Maryland, uh, uh, Sheriff Chuck Jenkins, about how increasingly in the schools we have violence 
and police officers cannot do anything about it. The criminal justice system doesn't deal with the MS-13 gang members. This at its core was what happened in Parkland with Nicholas Cruz. 50 different complaints, very violent kid, nothing was done to him. But suddenly, they have found their moxie when it comes to not wearing a mask. For a virus that that poses no threat to kids in any statistically meaningful way, through methods that have been proven useless in stopping it, when in fact it might be counterintuitive to stop them from getting the virus because you are ruining the very immune system that God created that in the first place made it, that they do not face any meaningful threat from this. Just like we learned about when we talked, we talked about this yesterday with the homeless population that is constantly, um, you know, getting infected with different pathogens. And it turns out they seem to be pretty immune to this virus as well. But remember, Utah is the probably the, the catalyst Republican state with criminal justice deform, letting out violent criminals, all these Republicans. And yet at the same time, they're going to criminalize students and staff who don't wear a symbol, a Democrat symbol that Fauci and the CDC said through May and government literature in Utah to this very day about wildfires says it doesn't help. Where do we go? I guess South Dakota is the only state. I guess South Dakota is the only state. What are we going to do? Where do we go from here? That is what I want to explore on today's show. So before I introduce the next guest, as really the antidote to what you and I have been talking about, the leadership that we've been lacking but the leadership that we so badly need that we're looking for. I started out with the Utah story for a reason. You see, this is a solid Republican state with almost every county being Republican. There's a Republican president. And we literally are in a situation where you are being criminalized for not wearing a mask, while particularly in Utah, violent criminals are being released. Well, Daniel, let's win the election. Well, you did win the election, and Republicans have been winning elections in that state for 120 years. So that clearly is not the issue. The issue is, as I speak to Republican elected officials, as you watch them, you see them on interviews, there is a crisis of intellect and there is a crisis of values. They don't believe in the platform of the Republican Party the way the Democrats believe in their party's platform and or there's just a crisis of intellect. They don't know anything. You, you, you watch them as they talk about the virus, and it's literally the same monkey see, monkey do you see with the Democrats and the media. Whatever the media puts out one day, oh, yeah, 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 uh, don't, don't wear a mask, lockdown, masks don't work. Next day, masks work. Yes, you must do that. Um, just the myopic focus rather than the broader focus of what are the trends with the virus? What does it actually do? What helps and what doesn't help? What is lawful under the Constitution and what's not? You don't hear this from Republicans. And this is bizarre. But in comes a man named Steve McLaughlin. I want to introduce you to him. This is the man who stood up to Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York and his edicts on mandating the dumping of COVID-positive patients into nursing homes, a lot of his draconian shutdowns of businesses, criminalizing Americans 
for a spread that they didn't cause and they didn't exacerbate. And when it was most acutely exacerbated by his own policies, and then he had the nerve to use the police, as many governors did, against his own peaceful, law-abiding citizenry. Well, we're looking for leadership, and we find Republicans in Republican states, in Republican counties, in Texas, in Utah, and they are literally as blinded by the lies as the left is. But yet, in the state of New York, you have Steve McLaughlin, who's serving in his third year as county executive of Rensselaer County, who stood up to Cuomo on numerous fronts early and often. Rensselaer County is where Troy, New York is, right across Cuomo's backyard, right across the river there, um, right near Albany. And you might be thinking, okay, well, you know, this is a red county in a blue state. Well, that in itself takes a lot of guts, and we're not seeing a lot of that. We're not seeing rebellions against these state governors. But I'm here to tell you, Rensselaer County is actually a swing county. It voted for Barack Obama. Uh, Trump carried it by one point. It's a very close county, and it's really a microcosm of America. This is the type of place that we should be winning in, that we should be providing them with a bold contrast, with a smart educated path forward on what we should and shouldn't be doing with this virus, as well as other issues as well, such as crime and budget. Steve has offered that leadership on numerous issues. He actually is a career commercial airline pilot. He's also a banker. Lots of interesting experience in the private sector. Then in 2010, he was elected to the New York General Assembly, was always fighting the establishment, corruption, standing up for constitutional rights, Balancing budgets, he's actually lower taxes while balancing the budget as county executive since he's served as Rensselaer County Executive for the last two and a half years. And he has a story to tell about his experience getting results with the virus by charting his own path, the path of sanity, of prudence, of science, of data, of the Constitution, even in a blue state. What a refreshing contrast from what we're seeing. With no further ado, it is an honor to bring on the show for the first time, Steve McLaughlin. Hey, Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Daniel, thank you. It's a pleasure to be uh, to be joining you, and thank you for that nice, uh, kind uh, introduction. I appreciate that. Well, I want our audience to know. You know, when I spoke with you, I got a sense of wow. He's he's seeing the studies that I'm seeing. He's seeing the trends that I'm seeing. He's reading reading the literature. It's not just spitting back the rote talking points that that so many Republicans have have uh, fallen into. So I want I want to uh, first um. Start out with your broad overview of what you've seen from Cuomo and really many other um, executives, how they ignored and understated initially the threat assessment of the virus and missed the few things that humans could do. And they are very few to either mitigate or just avoid a gratuitous spread of the virus. And then once they missed that boat, they just went crazy and destroyed their state, destroyed liberty, and wound up killing more people, both from the virus and from collateral damage. What is the broad overview of what you had to deal with in New York and how you kind of navigated that? 
Yeah, I, I think you nailed that perfectly. I, I don't think anybody over underreacted and then overreacted as much as Andrew Cuomo did. And I think that history is going to bear that out to be the correct analysis. He refused to act early. Uh, I was screaming that we needed, uh, you know, give me a quarantine of anybody coming out of what was then the epicenter of the world. I, w- I didn't even say, I don't want you coming to my county. I just said, if you come here, quarantine for 14 days, make sure you're okay. We'll protect you. We'll, we'll check in on you. And it will protect the county residents as well. He refused to even acknowledge that request, said it was all politics, completely ignored me. He ignored even de Blasio when de Blasio said, we got to shut down New York City. So it was a massive underreaction. And then the most incredible overreaction I've ever seen. And it continues to this day where Every day with Andrew Cuomo, and if you look back to every single one of his press conferences or his press statements, there is always an infliction of dominance, confusion, and or pain to the people of New York. Every day he's going to pick one thing to inject confusion, and sometimes he'll say something on one day and then completely change course 180 degrees the next day. And I'll give you a quick example. One day he was saying, no, 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 of course you cannot open the state in phases. You have to, in regions, we're one state. You have to open up at once. The very next day he said, oh, no, of course you can open in regions. New York's vastly different. So there's always this drive or mania to keep the people off balance. It's been maddening as a county executive, not just for me, but for any of my counterparts as well uh, on both sides of the aisle. Of course, most of them don't have the gumption to stand up and say it. But privately, when we're talking amongst ourselves, they are frustrated, they are angry, uh, and and they've, they've really had enough of Andrew Cuomo. And that's kind of an overview of where we're at, a massive underreaction and then a, just a giant overreaction. So one of those big overreactions, probably the most notorious uh, nationally, at least among those that don't follow the media narrative around Cuomo, is the nursing home business. So, you know, basically, by watching and observing and listening to these models put out by the Imperial College of London that indicated there wouldn't be enough bed space, even though, you know, the president brought in national assets the Javits Center you had was overflow and or potential overflow. You had the naval ship. He was like, oh, my gosh, we're not going to have enough space. So he put covid positive patients into nursing homes to this day. We we don't know how many have died in nursing homes because he's the only major state that will not publish uh, the, that number. But. You know, a lot of people realize this retrospectively. Wow, that was a really dumb thing to do. You watched this coming and fought it as it was happening before people knew about it. Could you describe that a little bit? Yeah, I did. And and maybe it'll end up being the single most meaningful thing that I ever do in politics. Uh, I, I hope I do other great things, but this to me was was something that needed to be done. So I, I read the what I would say the evil order that came out of the New York State Department of Health backed by Andrew Cuomo and Howard Zucker, who's an absolute hack of a, of a health commissioner. Um, they this order comes out. I read it. I immediately called our one county owned and run nursing home, Van Rensselaer Manor. Um, and I talked to the director who worked for me and I said, you will never, ever obey this executive order. I will fire everybody in that building. You will not 
obey this. This is evil. This is wrong. And what that order said was that you had to basically accept positive COVID transfers. Now, Andrew Cuomo has spent months on revisionist history, but that's what the order was. And anybody that knows Andrew Cuomo knows that it is a thug, bullying administration that one time famously said, we have two speeds here, get along and kill. Well, kill he did because over 12,000, when the numbers are really accurately counted, over 12,000 seniors died in nursing homes because of that evil order. They died of COVID. They were transferred in. I refuse to do it. I never even really advertised that fact early on because I know how vindictive this governor's administration are. So we did it quietly. We just told our, our folks out there at our staff, you're never accepting a positive COVID and you absolutely will test everybody before they come in the door and they don't come in as a new, new resident until that test comes back as a negative. Uh, that was another key thing that that evil order did was, was forbid nursing homes from testing incoming residents. It was absolutely uh, evil. It was absurd. And, and we see the results. Uh, and, and the five states that did it had the worst results. And Andrew Cuomo, by far, had the worst result of those five. So most deaths in the nation, most nursing home deaths in the nation. I defied it. It was the right thing to do. And, you know, and part of it is. Uh, I saw my my own mom pass away of an infection after heart surgery, and she got through the surgery fine. She got an infection and passed away, and it was horrible. There's no way that I wanted any of that on my conscience, so we were going to do whatever we could to protect that nursing home, and we did. We had zero deaths. We've had no deaths from COVID at that nursing home. So I want to come back to the nursing home stuff in a minute, but to just juxtapose this, so... This is the same man that ensured that the one policy we could actually affect that will make a difference in the death toll, um, not only didn't he secure them, but he actually um, pressured all the counties to take in positive patients in their nursing homes. And and you defied that and you did not have a single death in, in the county run nursing home. There was a privately one. Uh, run a, a facility that accounts for most of the deaths really in your county, which were very few. But on the other side of that ledger, then he turns around and says, wait a minute, there's so many people dying. We must stop the spread with with no evidence that these you know superstitious rituals work. And then he's like, we're shutting you down. So you guys had 41 deaths in the entire county. Again, I believe more than half of that came from this private facility, nursing home facility that you did not control. So in the general population, um, almost nothing, which if you go out to, you're a pretty small county, 150,000 people, you go out to the rest of the country, you could find results like that. But in the Northeast, that is a phenomenal result. I checked the counties around Rensselaer and um, like Columbia County to the south of it is uh, less than half the size, but it has more deaths so you really achieved a great result. Um, more people die from other things all the time, including from the lockdown, the despair, the suicide, the drugs. Yet when you want to reopen, he's like, well, actually, no, I don't think you met the benchmarks. So how did you navigate the state phased reopenings? And have you ever used law enforcement at a time when they're dealing with real violent crime to enforce uh, some of these edicts. 
No. Well, that first answer is no, never. We never used our law enforcement, never would. And I was very public in saying that uh, this is a free, this is a county that believes in the Constitution. This is a county uh, that, you know, we are American citizens. We are not subjects. We are not using law enforcement. Uh, I don't want to hear about people not wearing masks. We're not running around trying to find people not wearing masks. We are not going into businesses. We never did any of that. And and here's what happened for those that may not know uh, across the country. We had these phases that, that were thrown out there and say, okay, we're going to do phase one, two, three, and four. Uh, and as we hit those you know, marks, we're going to open up. Well, by the time we got to phase four, we were supposed to be completely open and we're not. We're still not completely open. So what happened on phase one we have these control room calls with all the elected leaders of the region and we're the capital region. So I think there's 11 of us from the different counties where we're supposed to be in charge of the reopening. But like most of what Andrew Cuomo does, it's a lie. It's a fraud. It's just a front. So we have these control room calls and on the day, literally the day before we're supposed to open phase one, uh, we hear the counts. Okay, well, Albany County, you have this many in the hospital, and, and, and Columbia County, this many, and Rensselaer County, this many. Now, they said, well, you guys have had a little bit of a hiccup and a little bit of an increase, so we can't open. And they got to me, and I said, what are you talking about? You're off by, uh, at that point, I think I had 11 in the hospital, which is nothing really in a county of 160,000. I had 11. And the, but I said, they were counting me as like 19 or 20. I said, you're off by almost 100%. Then Albany County chimes in, yeah, you're, you're way off on us. Literally, the state of New York could not count accurately the numbers, and here's why. They would call Albany Med and say, how many COVID patients? Oh, we have 50. Okay, that got counted against Albany as 50. Well, they weren't Albany residents. They may have been from various counties. So you see how that played out. They delayed us for five days on that opening. It would have been longer except for those of us like myself and some other county executives screaming at the state of New York saying, you are wrong. Those numbers are not correct. We know our numbers. Magically, like he always does, he doesn't tell the truth. A couple of days later, he says, oh, the data's changed. The data didn't change. We just made them count the numbers correctly. Then we got to phase two. And we're about to open, literally less than about 12 hours to go. He says, oh, no, 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 you can't necessarily open. I need my international team of experts to review the data. One of those experts was the, the uh, you mentioned, the Imperial College of London. These people were off. They were saying 2.2 million Americans were going to die. That's how bad their analysis was. So... Uh, suddenly out of the blue, here comes these international experts, which nobody's ever seen or heard from. I think it's nonsense. But at that point, I said, I am done with your nonsense phases. And I told my county, open your doors. If you are not licensed by the state with a liquor license or a barber's license, something like that, if you do not hold a state license, open your doors. We are not enforcing any of this. The result of that was a lot of businesses emailing and calling saying, thank you. You saved my business. Thank you for doing that. And again, just so people know, you look around the area, you had a tremendous result given where you were. You are farther away from New York than some of those Hudson Valley counties uh, from from New York City. But, you know, it's still within the orbit. It's near the capital and it's in the northeast, with which broadly got you know stronger saturation than any other region in the country. So that was a really good result. Again, 41 deaths and and what it was like 25 from this private nursing home facility. 
Yeah, 25. And really, if you look at the 42 deaths we've had right now, almost every one of them is a nursing home. Probably 30 or 32 of the 42 were from nursing homes. Uh, and, and that's sort of, uh, you know, that's obviously been the tragedy, but that's where this virus attacks. Um, but other than that, and, and by the way, everybody that's passed has had comorbidity or an underlying condition. So, uh, and, and we, by the way, Rensselaer County, eighth busiest train station in the country. So there's a lot of uh, back and forth between New York City and here, right through the Hudson Valley. So our result was really pretty spectacular, which is why it's so galling to sit here saying, well, wait, you said to flatten the curve. You said to stay home. You said to do all these things. People did that. And now he still refuses to open up as if we are his subjects, uh, you know, subjected to the whim of this dictatorial governor. And what is so shocking is you look at a county like yours and it's essentially the only people who died were in nursing homes or really people that likely would have died anyway, that none of these rituals were would, would, would have helped because, frankly, those type of people, especially if they're in nursing homes, they're not going to bars. They're not going around. Um, clearly, you're earlier opening than some surrounding counties that uh, were under the thumb of the governor didn't have a, a worse result, it had a better result. And so so this is literally nobody knows anyone who died. I mean, th this is part of the problem in most parts of the country. But then you look at the other side of the ledger. And I don't know if you saw this. A brand new study came out from doctors at Denver's major medical system, hospital system. And I read they, it today. You, so, so you saw that. I'm going to have an article. It's coming out. You guys could see it at conservativereview.com. It's going to be up at the blaze. And it is phenomenal. It shows how in Denver. More people died, excess cardio arrests at home because doctors were saying, wait a minute, they're not coming in. This didn't cure heart attacks. Oh, whoops, we discovered it. They weren't calling 911. They were dying at home because, and it turns out more, more of those people, it was something like, you know, 40 or so COVID deaths during those week, weeks and, and 51 excess heart attacks at home. Um, and then now they're seeing the long-term effects because now they're back in the hospitals, but they're sicker than they usually are is what these doctors found because of delayed care. And this is what happens. It's not like, you know what? Okay, you know, we erred on the side of caution. Not as many people died, you know, but it was better to err on the side of caution. What you're doing when you overstate the magnitude of something, there's a, um, and I'm sure you've seen this, it's a phenomenal survey by Franklin Templeton, and they show that among some younger people, they overstate the threat to themselves, to their age cohorts, by a factor of 400. So to them, this is like stage four pancreatic cancer. To them, this is worse than a heart attack. So yeah, I'm not going to go in for that. Then there's the other half of it, that that degree of anxiety and despair, both from just the fear and panic of the virus, and then from the social isolation and shutdown, is inducing insane data we're seeing on mental health, on suicides, on drug overdoses, are up in most places about 50% from a very high baseline of the last five to six years of this uh, drug crisis. And, you know, according to uh, CDC, we now see excess deaths for people 25 to 44. So the next cohort up is higher than the number of COVID deaths. Why is nobody balancing this? That's number one. And number two, Steve, 
Could you give us a sense of what you're seeing in your county with the collateral damage of both the lockdown and then the fear that accompanies it? You know, it's exactly, you just nailed it so perfectly. I had uh, the head of Albany Med on. Albany Med is just a great hospital in this area. Uh, and Dr. McKenna, who is the CEO, came on my Facebook Live, and we were talking about this, and it's something I was talking about early on. If you go back and look at my Facebook updates on the Rensselaer County page, which I would encourage anybody to take a look, we were saying this for months, that the cost of closing, of staying shut down, far outweighs the cost of opening up. And Dr. McKenna came on and said, Steve, you got to open because you are killing people by staying closed and you're killing a lot more of them. And that Denver study I saw today, I read it. Uh, we are seeing here in this county as many overdose deaths as we have had COVID deaths. And that's highly unusual. We got to the point where we are literally delivering naloxone door to door. If people call us, we will drop it off. Um, the strokes, the cancers, the heart disease, what every doctor has said to me is that you watch when, when you think you're past this six months or so down the line across the country, you're going to see an increase in deaths. And suddenly it's going to be, wow, he had stage four cancer and he didn't know it. Oh, geez, he had a heart blockage and didn't know it. So you're going to lose so many more people that would have been saved if they had gotten the care that they needed. We're seeing that play out as another act of defiance that I did at our nursing home, our county run nursing home, where I knew the folks were declining uh, by not seeing their families. So I said, that's it. I've asked for a month for guidance from the state. They refused to act. We opened up outside visitation at our nursing home with sanitizing, with a, you know, um, everybody wearing masks and everybody socially distancing. But we had to let these people see their families because they're going to decline and die. State called me every name in the book that this was a recipe for disaster. And two days later, they did the exact same thing. So on multiple occasions now, whether it's me opening up campgrounds or me open, issuing the permits for pools or me saying, yes, we're doing outdoor dining, within days, Andrew Cuomo followed exactly what I did and tried to claim it as his own because leaders lead. That's what, that's what we're supposed to do when we're elected is lead, do the right thing for the people. It's not that hard if you use common sense and, and have some courage. I thought that's an that was an interesting point when you mentioned to me this balance. On the one hand, you're the big hawk with the nursing homes from day one to make sure they were secured, unlike Cuomo. But on the other hand, what I find interesting, and we spoke about on this show a lot, I've gotten tons of emails from people with parents in these facilities. That Even that has to be balanced. So in other words, you want to be pretty strict, but you can't literally lock down in the sense of indefinitely for six to 12 months and who knows what. They cannot see a single relative, sometimes a spouse um, or, or a child, because they, they'll, they'll die from that. Uh, and and as, as dangerous as this virus is to that cohort of people, um, it's not a 100% kill rate, whereas you let them atrophy, um, that's certainly deadly and, and i'm finding that more and more to be a problem throughout the country as again this underreaction overreaction this pendulum this so now they're just going crazy when it's already over with and it's you know the the, the damage was done and now all right you know you're gonna you can't see a relative ever you know ever again and there's no roadmap they can't some of them are kept from even talking to them um what do you think people could do to advocate for seniors 
Yeah, well, I and I think from for from my perspective, it was one of the things of being a commercial airline pilot that actually trained me for this is the ability to analyze situations, analyze what you would say is an emergency, and and make a plan that's logical that's going to save everybody. That's essentially what a pilot does in an emergency, is you don't react in panic, which is what Andrew Cuomo did. You react in a methodical, logical way and get through the problem. So my training as a pilot seemed to pay huge dividends here. But uh, what I would say that the folks need to do out there, because this is a very real problem. If those folks die, atrophy and die of broken hearts, or they decline, they stop eating, whatever, melancholy, whatever it is, those folks are gone. And, and whether, you know, whether they passed away from COVID or passed away from broken heart, they're gone. And we have to do whatever we can to save them. We did whatever we can to save them at our nursing home, which is what the state should have done. Uh, they would have saved thousands upon thousands. We did that. Then it became, okay, now we have to have the human compassion and the logic to open up, open up outside visitation while it's warm up here in the Northeast, let them see their families. What the folks need to do they have got to get on the phone to their state and local representatives and let them know. Don't send form letters because we only read one of those. But if you reach out to us with the heartfelt, I need to see my mom, I need to see my dad, they're declining. All, those things resonate. If anybody in elected office you know, cares, that's going to resonate with them. And they're going to, they should engage and say, look, you've got to open this up. And that's what we did. We forced the governor's hand uh, and, and really essentially made him open up visitation in New York. Still way too, too draconian on the way they're doing it, but at least there's some avenue to see some folks. No, exactly, exactly. Um, And, and I thought Franklin Templeton put it great. Uh, this misperception translates directly into a degree of fear for one's health that for most people vastly exceeds the actual risk. And then by doing that, obviously they create real risks that, that have nothing to do with the virus. And one of the things that I found astounding about, I, I wanted you to tell over the story of the dumping you had in your county. So again, another example of how the politicians look at this virus and they cannot come to terms with our limitation as human beings to stop a respiratory virus from spreading. And under the guise that somehow they can stop it while also overstating its broad risk, then they take drastic measures and do things that are actually in their power to avoid. And they create a gratuitous spread that didn't have to happen. Could you describe what Cuomo did in New York City with dumping that that landed as far north as Rensselaer County? Yeah. Well, well, yeah. The one thing that Andrew Cuomo did and most of these governors have done is successfully scare people half to death uh, for no real reason, no logical reason. But what was happening here as he was in his panic mode, uh, you know, he began shipping people upstate literally just to die. They were they were coming up in helicopters two, three, four times a day here to Rensselaer County and then other counties as well. Same thing, not just here. All over the state of New York, they were flying people out of New York City. And within 24 to 48 hours, those folks had passed away. I, I think maybe one of them got out of the hospital here that came up from New York City uh, with COVID. The rest were really sent up to die. I believe that enabled and uh, an 
that helped spread this statewide. We did not have our first positive here in Rensselaer County until March 17th. Um, shortly thereafter, here come the helicopters and whatever spread we did, did have, which was minimal to be sure, but we got spread. Uh, and I think that the bringing in of people, uh, you know, that were positive COVID and very, very sick. These were not folks that were, you know, kind of sick. These were very sick people brought up here to die. It made no sense other than it did enable the spread. Uh, and it was, um, you know, it was tough to watch and tough to see. But at that point, he was in full-blown panic mode because he was listening to people that really didn't know what they were talking about. So uh, it, 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 the sad part of that is the result is New York leads the nation in death, and it's not even close. Yep, but he's he's the biggest hero, and and evidently it was done right. I I find it amazing how we've come full circle. What we wanted was a flattened curve. Okay, so that was the initial initial impetus for this. Was look just temporarily. Let's just try to slow it down. We knew we couldn't stop it. It was known it's going to do what it does. But maybe if you catch it early enough, which we didn't, especially in New York anyway, so that wasn't going to work. But the understanding initially was. You know, have it rather than a, what's called a Gompertz curve, just a big up and the big down, you know, kind of flatten it out. So here's the irony. Florida, Texas, Arizona, California. I mean, it spread out over a while and it was milder. Even their peak was much, much milder. If you 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 plot it on the same Y and X axis with the same scale and value, you'll see that. Whereas New York just like skyrocketed. And then, you know, it's two sides of a coin. What comes up comes down. So then, you know, they accused us of trying to achieve achieve herd immunity by sacrificing people. But yet, but, but, and, and we wouldn't have done the lockdown and killed people from the lockdown and the panic. Yet that's exactly what they accomplished with the lockdown, getting the worst of all worlds. And yet now they're praising that while trashing the other areas that had a flatter curve. I mean, it's backwards. It's completely mind boggling and watching the Andrew Cuomo show for the past couple months and now the audacity to write a book uh, when he had the worst response of probably anybody in the world. I'm looking at this saying this guy lives in his, in an alternate reality because he you know if you really critically look at what he did it was a complete disaster. He did everything at the beginning kind of exactly the opposite of what common sense would tell you to do. Uh, in, in a for classic example is refusing to lock down New York City for two weeks would have really done a huge service to the country, let alone the state of New York, where he enabled the spread statewide. It would have done a huge service to the country because you think how busy LaGuardia and Kennedy are. Uh, people are in and out all over the country all the time. He completely refused to act on that. He, he opposed the international, cutting off international correct. travel. And wouldn't even acknowledge me when I was saying, look, I want to quarantine not only for Rensselaer County, but for upstate. Anybody coming up from the hot zone, you got to quarantine for 14 days. I went ahead and did it anyway. Our health department issued an, uh, a health order. It was another act of defiance. And we had a couple of dozen people call us from New York City saying, love what you're doing. Thank you for doing it. This is where I am. This is where I'll be for two weeks. That allowed our health department here in the county to check in with them every day. Are you okay? Do you need anything? How are you feeling? All of them got through it just fine, thank God. Uh, and we don't even know if any of them, none of them really turned up positive, thankfully. But that's all we were trying to do is protect 
not only the folks that came here, but protect the county. Andrew Cuomo refused to act. And anybody listening across the nation, you've got to really look at this guy. This guy is an abject liar his entire career. And this reality that he tries to spin out there like he did the other night at the, on, uh, during his speech at the DNC is so disconnected from reality. And anybody in New York that is right thinking will tell you this guy's out of his mind. I've been saying that for 10 years. The alternate <laughs> reality he lives in is something to behold. He creates his own reality, lectures you, browbeats you, answers, asks and answers his own questions. Very typical. Uh, has that sing-song, up-and-down voice. It's all meant to lull people into hypnosis and kind of get them to do what, <laughs> get them to go along. You'll see him say right at the end of sentences all the time, seeking seeking uh, agreement. It's just watching this guy for 10 years, it's been something to see. Wow. Yeah, no, I, and, and what's endemic of all these politicians, but I guess most evidently with Cuomo, is again this dichotomy between on the one hand, initially letting it into the country you're a racist if you cut off travel from from uh china in january we so badly pushed for it i mean i did a show on this um i'll never forget uh, a staffer friend of mine uh for one senator that was really pushing this very early when this blew wide open we looked at each other and we said oh man you know Man, boy, were we 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 right on that. And again, not that I believe in retrospect, especially what we learned about the virus, we're learning in New Zealand that you could forever fully keep it out. But the degree to which you seed it in your country initially is going to matter, and you will have at least a flatter curve that way. That's the one thing you can do. Whereas these guys, they were like they opposed even the European shutoff, even as late as March, mid March. They, they didn't want it. So we seeded the heck out of it here. And then they turn around. We're going to lock down Americans. No church, no business, no school, nothing. Like, whoa. I mean, at that point, it doesn't help anyway. It's going to have to run its course. Um, and and that's that's the sickening thing. So he thinks we could go back to even under the article, what, what we couldn't do under the Articles of Confederation, which is create a travel ban on other states and set up checkpoints. Yet he opposed cutting off travel from from Wuhan. I mean, right. th- these guys are just unbelievable. But I just want to end with this. You served in the state legislature um, and obviously you you dealt with him before being a county executive. This is something I cannot understand. I I just looking around the country, Republicans, Democrats, the statement I'm making is not conservative. Everyone should agree to this. I understand if you say there's a nuclear bomb coming and everyone has to do this and this, there's an emergency that's imminent. So uh, an executive, whether it's a governor or the president, gets up and says, here's what we're doing. 24 hours, 36 hours, couple days. But what I cannot understand is how we are over five months into this and we still have the most consequential, the most liberty-crushing policies ever enacted in American history being promulgated by executive fiat without hearings, without a democratic legislative process. I just don't understand that. Meaning, call in people from Oxford and Stanford, call in the panic guys, let's talk about the transmission, the fatality rates, what works, what doesn't work, do masks work or not. Let, let's hold hearings on that before we say, shut up, this is what you're doing, you're my subject. Is there any clamor to at least convene in Albany 
and 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 have some sort of debate on this. Very little, and you know, as it's been said uh, famously, democracy dies in darkness. Well, it's midnight in New York State uh, with Andrew Cuomo. The legislature hid abdicated their responsibility and that as bad as that is they turned over the reins of power completely to andrew cuomo who who famously one time said i am the government uh he means it he views himself <laughs> really as a dictator and not all that benevolent but he um uh they, they hid they abdicated their responsibility as bad as that is they have not taken it back since even though we've gotten through the worst of it the emergency is over it's time to govern, and they still refuse to do so. So there's not nearly enough of a clamor. Uh, you hear some of it from some of the conservative members, but New York's legislature is dominated by Democrats, and it's dominated by New York City Democrats in particular, who are just just groupthink cowards that will go along with whatever he says because they're afraid to cross him. And what the people should know about Andrew Cuomo is always – Always remember that whatever he is accusing someone else of doing is exactly what he's doing. He has taken the ball and he's run with it. and He will not give up power until this legislature takes it back from him. No, exactly. And, and nobody will give up power until we take it back. And um, what I've been pushing for so long is I said, look, you know, Donald Trump won 80 percent of counties. Um, you are able to do this in a county that is very much at the 50 yard line. Um, there are counties that are a lot more, a lot safer territory for people like you. And yet they're going along with it. They're going along with it. So in, in the final minute we have here, what advice would you give to other county officials? I know a lot of them have expressed concern that it seems like some of these health departments are, are vested with a lot of power. The commissioners, especially in areas they don't have county executives, they just have a commission. And you have these unelected bureaucrats who just promulgate stuff and they have problems with them. How did you get all the pieces you know, on the same side? The sheriff, I'm sure you have a county commission. Um, the health department, how do you get them on the same page and what advice would you offer other counties that are in a similar predicament where you have a governor, Republican or Democrat, both that, uh, you know, are, are trying to be mini Cuomo's? Well, you know, part of it is I, I will say probably part of it is having a pretty strong personality and be and pretty firm in my beliefs, knowing that I'm trying to do the right thing. As I said earlier, do the right thing for the people. And, and my advice to and the way it worked here was, you know, I, I saw that it was nonsense. I saw where I needed to push back. I, I knew that he was hurting people. I would say to any elected official out there, look yourself in the mirror. Understand that you're you're not there to be a puppet. Leaders lead. Leaders have to stand up. And sometimes that means going against the grain. I've done that with my own party. I've stood up. I've held, I've pushed back in the assembly when I, against the New York state Republican controlled Senate at the time, because they were not doing the right thing. And I had to protect my constituents. So you've got to be, I think the bi single biggest thing, do not be afraid of losing an election. And far too many in elected office govern because they're afraid of losing. If you do the right thing, it's going to take care of itself. And I've always approached it with that mindset that, look, I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm going to say what I need to say. If I take care of the people, I think the people are going to respond well to that, and they're going to send me back. And if they choose not to, then God has a different plan for me, and I go on and I do something else. But in the meantime, you're going to make an impact if you do the right thing. 
Very enlightening words. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Please keep us updated as this plays out. We need more examples like you. It's got to start out at a local level. Um, folks, if you're listening to Steve and and uh, you're you're still thinking that somehow everything boils down to that presidential election, look, vote early, vote often, do your thing. But th- the bottom line is you got to create um, you got to focus on the local elections and you got to create a grassroots movement that will buttress leaders that make the right choices because um, they're going to be up against this pressure. This is where it's at. We've always known it. Steve has proven this. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Take care. God bless. Guys, is he awesome or what? I mean, tell me, what 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 would the Republican Party look like if you had an RNC chair like that guy? How many Republicans do you ever hear talk like that? I mean, he had a command of the facts. That was the big thing when I talked to him. I could tell he was really up. You know, like yeah, I, I mentioned the Denver study from today on cardiac deaths, and he already knew that. That that just recently came out. I mean, he's really up on things, and, and that's part of the problem. A lot of Republican elected officials are just dumb. So the dumber you are, the less you know, the less you know um, the the less confidence you have in your views and the more susceptible you are to buying into the lies. But this is where we're at. Make no doubt, we have a crisis. It's a very important point he, he mentioned, and it's, it's uh, really spoken about by this doctor from the Colorado study, that you, when you look at the excess deaths, you can't just look at the last few months. This is going to be a long-term problem. Meaning, even if the panic porn would go away today, which it won't, um, just the long-term damage is going to be unbelievable. In normal times, if you look just at 2018 data, people 15 to 24 are 26 times more likely to kill themselves than die from COVID or die with COVID, as many of them do. But you look at now, with the drug use and the suicidal tendencies from the panic porn, do you know how long we're going to be living with that? Has anyone ever thought about this before we lost our collective minds? I guess not. And then, and then you have this data manipulation I thought it was fascinating he was talking about. They make up these numbers. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw, but the Arizona health director was out there literally saying, don't worry, don't worry. We are going to reassure you that we are counting every COVID death. And then she, descri- she went on to describe how anyone who ever tests positive, irrespective of the evidence, they're counted. Like she was bragging about that. So we were overcounting, overstating the COVID deaths, understating, ignoring all of the death and mayhem, mental health, physical health from the lockdown, from the panic, from the disproportionate overstating of the threat level of the virus. And then it comes full circle that we then use those deaths that were the result of the panic porn and the overstating of the fear and the panic and counting them towards the COVID death count to sow even more fear and kill even more people and then that we can count even more COVID deaths. Rinse and repeat. We live in a sick society. 
The only way we're going to get out of that is if we grab the power back ourselves. And the only way we do that is by acting more like Steve McLaughlin, by electing people more like him. Again, I'm really touched by that. Um, what my friend Shannon Joy told me about him, she's on the western part of the state in Rochester. I was like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the area so well. So I was like, oh, so, you know, this is a conservative county. And I looked at it. I mean, you know, this guy doesn't pull any punches. And that's a swing county. It is more often voted for the Democrat. Trump did turn it over by a point. But again, I think there's an important lesson there. That there is a trend to catch in people in that part of the world. That part of the, the, the country, I mean. But we're not going to win them with milquetoast republicanism. Anyway, let me know your comments, questions, concerns. dhorowitz at blazemedia.com, at rmconservative on Twitter. You could follow us on Facebook, Hurwitz Citizen Sanctuary, and Miniman Speakeasy. Tomorrow is going to be our last show for a couple days. I'm going to be out most of next week. It's going to be a very special show. Uh, don't miss it. Till then, God bless you all, and thank you for listening. 